look for it on Facebook. If you guys want to share it with your friends, I have a great message to share with you guys today. The message is going to be entitled, Pray Hard and Work Hard. Let's whip that around. Work hard and pray hard. Is that what I told you, Joe B? Or work hard, rest hard. Thank you. That's even better. Yeah, there we go. Because play is not really the same as rest. Because you can, you know, sometimes when you're uh, playing, you can use a lot of energy. Like when I would take those trips to uh, Devil's Lake with the church, I would be playing around so much, climbing the rocks and all that. All of that. When I would come back, I would be exhausted. Let me make sure we're coming through good here. Yes, yeah, coming through great. Okay, so feel free to share this now. It is up. Why are you being naughty? Okay, so thank you, and I'm left-handed, which is weird because I use my right hand. Oh, but I type with my left. That's probably why. But anyways, um, let's share it with our friends. Let them know that we are live. I just had it, and then it acted naughty. Don't you guys hate when things act naughty? Technology sometimes is my best friend. Other times it's my worst enemy. Work hard and rest hard. Join me for chapel. Join me for chapel. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 16, rather. We're going to look to the signs of, uh, the sign here of um, Jesus walking on water. What I had gone through yesterday in the church, not going to preach at all, but I want us to see it here. The sermon title today is Work Hard and Rest Hard, John 6, 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I'm just going to stay with John today. I may make some references to the accounts in Mark and Matthew. But as we learn, John has the shortest account, the shortest account. And he adds basically two pieces of new information. One is that they rode about three or four miles, where before it wasn't specified how far they rode before Jesus came out to them. And then the last miracle, uh, the second miracle in the last verse, which I'll be emphasizing today, is that when they took him into the boat, they immediately reached the shore. Now, we talked about the Synoptic Gospels are normally filled in by John's information, and those are two examples of it. But in this sense, if you don't have the Synoptic Gospels to give you the full story of the walking on water, you will miss some key, um, some key components to the story, which is Peter walking on water. And there's a lot to learn from that as well. And then there's also that uh, that two-word phrase that Jesus gives uh, in Matthew that we didn't hear in John, which is, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So uh, let's look to John. This is the shortest out of the three Gospels that have it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have the walking on water. John gives us the summary here. And so today's message as it pertains to ministry, and I need the board, so uh, would you get the board and the marker, please? Let's make sure we always have it up here for every chapel. Is, and uh, Joby, I'll also put you in charge of making sure that's there. 
is that we see there is the, uh, the walking on water and Jesus coming to them after they've rode and done everything that they uh, could do. And then there is the part where Jesus takes them to the shore doing what they could not do. And so that's kind of the contrast that I want today's message to, to hit when we're talking about ministry. There is the obedience to God's commands, doing all that you can do, and then there is the trust and having faith in Christ for, you, for him to do what you could not do. Now let me give it to you in a way that uh, has been said before. It's attributed to Ignatius, but we don't know who actually said it. Pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. Do you see the contrast there? Pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. There's another way that we could say it, that we could uh, kind of um, give, it, give it this contrast, and I'll wait for the pen to come here, that, um, that I will do all that I can do, believing that God will do what only he can do. Would you help him find it, please? Because I don't know where he's going to look for the marker, gentlemen. And do you see why it's important to have things set up beforehand? Because it's a bit distracting now. Think of it like this. I will do all that I can do, believing that God will do only what he will do or what he can do. That's a famous saying around this church is that God, or a famous thing that we say in prayer, God, we ask that you will do what only you can do. Now, what was the part here in the story that they were commanded to do? What was the part that the disciples were commanded to do? Thank you. And a, excuse me, I'm sorry. And an eraser, please. What was that? Don't be afraid. comes afterward. What was the thing that they were commanded to do? To get on the boat and to do what? Head towards the other side of the shore. That is what they are commanded to do. Look at it in verse uh, 17, or excuse me, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. When they got to the boat and set across for the lake Capernaum, it was now dark. Excuse me, you would have to have known Matthew's reading to hear this. Now, that would have assumed you guys knew Matthew's reading. So let's read Matthew's part here. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So once again, what was the thing that the disciples were commanded to do? Get in the boat and go to the other side. Now we know how they were going to travel. It was not going to be via the sails, via wind, by wind. It was going to be by them rowing. Why do you think that was a part that John added here, that they had rowed two or three miles, that this was a part that he makes sure that he puts in his story right here when he says road. Why do you think he did that? Matthew didn't say that. Yes. Exactly. Man, you are on fire today. And yesterday was even your bachelor's party. I'm surprised I'm seeing you today. Well, I should say I'm surprised, but I'm happy to see you. Amen. But uh, this is amazing. He is on fire today. He has caught, caught two components of this, which is where we need to be. So we're putting here work, and we're going to put here rest. We have given ourselves to some words that show us what we do when we work. We pray. We pray as if everything depends, or excuse me, we um, work as if everything depends on us, and we pray as if everything depends on God. 
A way of resting is praying, and a way of working in this situation is rowing. Jesus goes to pray. The disciples go to row. Now, working, resting, working, resting. Jesus sends them on the boat probably when the beginning of the storm has already come. These were fishermen. These guys were not noobs to weather. As a matter of fact, fishermen were one of the best at reading weather patterns. Even to this day, fishermen are the best at reading weather patterns. I am not even a man that travels much on a boat. I, don't, I get seasick. But because I fished as much as I have, have been around the docks, get my bait from those guys, and are always standing there on the, the shores, the beaches, the piers fishing, I can read weather very well. Not as good as those guys, but I could read it probably better than any average person you would meet because you're out there for hours and hours and hours. And another thing about the beach is you see the weather a long way off. I remember being in the Bahamas, and I could see the thunderstorm at night that was probably 30 miles away or 20 miles or 10. I don't know. It was a long way away, and you could see the storm was there. And so these men were made by Jesus to get on the boat. And I can just see there's maybe a discussion that they had where they're saying, Jesus, I don't think the boat's the best way to go right now. Uh, the wind's blowing hard. We see no more stars. We can't see the moon. It looks like it's going to start raining. It's going to come down pretty hard here in just a bit. We're feeling the wind. And Jesus makes them. He's like, no, you listen. You boys get in that boat. And that's where you got to trust your leader. That's a whole nother discussion, but they trusted their leader, and so they're in the boat, and it's not just like the, the sail taking them. They're not on a sailboat where it's really easy, and it's not just row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. They're not going downstream a river here just, you know, enjoying the day like in Venice or something. They are rowing against a storm. They are rowing with waves on a lake that are probably as high as this picture that I have are three to six feet high, and they are high. And I said before, that may not look scary to you, as I said yesterday, that may not look scary to you, but a fisherman will ask the right question when he looks at that scene. He'll go, hey, it may not look that scary to you guys, but I got one question here. What boat am I on in that weather? Because that's what a fisherman's going to think about. Just an average person is going to go, oh, that's not a big deal, because they're automatically going to think, I'm on a 20-foot boat, I've got a motor. But a fisherman's going to know, now, did I bring out my bass boat out there? Did I bring out my rowboat that I have? Did I, you know, just go out with my kids? Because I used to have one of those, you know. Did, did, did I bring that? What am I on? And if you put this into the story that I'm in a rowboat, that's a scary situation, especially in a place where the water is, uh, is upwards of uh, 600 feet deep. And so... We see that Jesus told them to work. Jesus told them to work, and they're doing it. They're being obedient. They're going hard after that, man. They're, they're rowing three and four miles here, okay? That's the working aspect. Where does the resting aspect come? Well, after Jesus walks on the water, and we know Peter was a part of that, that then they, they, he gets into the boat, they take him in, and then now they immediately get to shore. This is a miracle of transportation, we have seen that miracle again in the Bible in the book of Acts where Philip is transported from one place to another. Let us just look at that portion of Scripture to encourage you here. I believe it's like uh, Acts, what, chapter 7? We see, no, it's going to be in Acts chapter 8, I believe. Yeah, the church is persecuted and scattered. Philip, then Philip heard him. Okay, here we go. After he had preached him, now watch. Here we go. 
after he had baptized him. When they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, this is Acts chapter 8, thank you, verse 39. When they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the Enoch, the eunuch rather, the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now the question is, do we believe in miracles of transportation, of transportation, rather? Uh, we actually do have a miracle of transportation, um, um, a transportation in the sense of moving faster than you normally would move. And who was that with? Who moved faster than horses, ran faster than horses? No. When would Jesus have ran faster? I don't want to tease you too hard because you at least tried, but an answer that's not well thought out is not a good answer. Did you think you had saw a time when Jesus had ran faster than horses? Okay, well, we already have that. We're already talking about that. We're talking about someone moving. But that, that, is, a, that is a miracle of what we just, um, that we just defined differently is a transportation um, and then transportation. So maybe I need to clarify even to myself. The miracle of transportation is what I'm talking about. The miracle of Philip and the miracle of uh, the boat is a miracle of transport. You're being transported. The other one is you're being transper, transperred, transportation. You're moving. Look at the difference in these words just so you guys can learn the difference with me. Let's make sure I got it right here. Transport. Let's look at the word transport. Transport. Take or carry people from one place to another. Now let's put transport. Let's see. Oh, teleport. That's what I'm with. I'm mixing it up. That's why you guys are looking at me weird. I'll give you credit for that. I'll give you, I'll take the lickings on that one. Transport. Because <laughs> I'm thinking of transportation. Transport. <laughs> Isn't transportation the same word of transport? Oh, Lord. Can I edit that out? Transportation. Boy, humble me, Jesus. Why don't you, right? Transportation. Let's get the word. Let's get the word transportation with, with it defined, right? Oh, sometimes I just confuse myself. Here we go. The action of transporting someone. Transport, transportation. Now, what is the other word? Teleport. Teleportation. Thank you. Teleportation. Tell. Teleportation. Thank you. Teleportation. It's the theoretical uh, transfer of matter of energy from one point to the other. Okay, there we go. There's the miracle of teleportation and the miracle of transportation. Okay, now the miracle of transportation is a man running faster than horses, like as if he wasn't in a vehicle. He's running fast 
He's with you. You're seeing him. The other one is literally matter being shifted from one place to another place. Who is the person that outran horses? Yes. No. That's, that's a good, good area of the Bible. Uh, the one who outran horses, let's put it up here. The one who outran horses. Who outran horses? Bible. Here we go. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 46. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak and belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So he outran the horses of King Ahab. Elijah outran horses. Okay, so we got Philip being transported. No, 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 no. Teleported. Teleported. And then we got Elijah being transported. Okay. Now that we know the difference, we see the miracle of the teleportation symbolizing also our rest. Teleportation symbolizing our rest and the rowing representing our work. One of the attributes of resting is praying, trusting the Lord. Another attribute of working like rowing, is doing ministry, and we could also say serving, okay? And uh, to put this in a way that you guys can see very simple, let me just put the words that correspond with each other right here. When they were working, they were rowing. When they were resting, they were being teleported. How does this correspond to us in life? When we're doing ministry, when we're doing ministry, we're working, when we're resting, we're praying. Does everybody see that? There is a difference between working and resting. Rowing versus teleporting, ministry versus your prayer life and spending time with Jesus. Once again, listen to the sentence that we heard before. Pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. Do all that you can do, believing that God will do only what he can do. Would you put that on Facebook and tag me in it, please? Do all that you can do, believing that God will do only what he can do. Are you willing to row in the middle of a storm, doing all that God commanded you to do, or are you going to give up? If you give up, you'll never see the miracle of teleportation. Are you willing to do ministry and to serve God in the heat of the day, working as hard as you can? If you are, you will see the miracle of prayers and answer to things, uh, the answer of prayers come true and miracles in your life. These are the ones that God is answering the prayers to, those who are working and doing what he has said. Those who are sitting on their holy backside asking God to do something for them that they could have done for themselves are not going to see the miracle. Those who have done everything that they can do for themselves and then trust God with the rest, after you have done your best, trust God with the rest. Tag me in that one too, please. After you have done your best, trust God with the rest. Those sentences right there will change your life if you get them. If you get those as models in your life, they will change your life. Do your best and trust God with the rest. Do all that you can do, believing that God will do only what he can do. 
You have to put those in your heart and make those lifetime mottos. I will row, but believing I can be teleported. I will serve and do ministry, believing that God can do miracles. That's how we're going to live it out in ministry. If you only do one and not the other, you will never see the, 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 the blessing of God. And most of the time, you'll never really truly do this one here. The teleportation was for those who was working. The answer to prayer are those who are working. You will not enjoy nor see these things come to pass. Sometimes we all, often wonder, why is it others are seeing answers to prayer in their, in their lives? Well, it's because they're doing the will of God. That's why they know to pray the will of God. We've got a lot of them today. I want these seriously. Those who do the will of God can pray the will of God and see the miracles of God. Oh, y'all ain't ready for that. Those who do the will of God, pray the will of God, and see the power of God, or see the miracles of God. Tag me in there. I want these up right now. These are coming right off the wire. Y'all don't even know how big these are. This is bigger. What I'm saying is bigger than this room right now. What I'm saying right now is bigger than what you're going through. It, 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 is, it is bigger than what you're facing right now. This is something like you will remember 30 years from now going, man, a pastor sat in front of me and said, if I live the will of God, if I pray the will of God, I will see the miracles of God. Hello, come on somebody. Your biggest trial and test won't come in a chapel with a pastor preaching to you and us leading you in worship. Your biggest trial and test will come out in the middle of your life, man. You'll be 40, 50 years old, having done ministry your whole life, and now your church might have just split. The worst possible scenario happened while your church splits the same time your mother just died. Come on. And you're going to be looking back on the days of Bible college, and you're going to say, what's something in that time that I was given that I can hold on to right now? What's something that I can remember in the days of my youth when I served the Lord? When it wasn't so hard, what were those things that I was taught and built my life on? The foundations that I won't give up in well-doing. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Do not grow weary in your well-doing. Isn't that what the Bible says? Do not grow weary in your well-doing. For if you do not faint, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. This is bigger than you. This is more than what you're just thinking about right now. This is bigger than that. I'm going to look back on those things that you've posted up. Have you got them down for me? Thank you so much for helping me today. I needed that because my heart is so full of the Word of God. Guys, this is an old saying, and the preachers used to say, and I want it to be for you guys, study yourself full to preach yourself empty. I come here so full every week, but I don't have any notes. I come here so full. You need to write these down. Do you know that? You look at Charles Finney's sermons, specifically, I know this about Charles Finney, and you listen to his lectures, how many points there were, how it was laid out. Those were written after he had preached, and he came there with no notes. He would say point number one about the will of God, point number two about the will of God, point number three. He would be preaching about repentance, the second thing you need to know about repentance, the fifth thing, and they would be writing them down, and then when they got done, he would say, now print them out and give them out to everybody. It would be literally not me having any of these notes here, me preach this same exact message, and then after the sermon, they print it out and put it in blog form and go, that's what Pastor just preached. That's what I want to become like. I want to be so full of the Lord. I want to be so full of his power and his spirit that I come here ready to preach myself empty. These things right here will change your life. You need to write these down and never forget them. After you've done your best, trust God with the, be with the rest. Pray as if everything depends on you. Work as if everything depends on, uh, pray as if everything depends on God. Work as if everything depends on you. Do all that you can do, believing God can do all that he can do. 
And those who do the will of God, pray the will of God, and believe the will of God will see the miracles of God. Okay. So which one normally comes first in our stories? Not only just the one that we read today about walking on water, but in all the other stories of the Bible. Which one normally comes first, the work or the rest? That's right. Normally, that's what happens. In the creative order, when God created the universe, there was some crazy bug flying around. Where did that fly just come from? If you can kill it, kill it. If you can, oh, Mr. Miyagi, did you get it? No. No, don't break your laptop. Okay. That would have been so cool. You catch it, you just pick it with your hand. Okay, let me ask you a question. In the creation order, I know some of you with the prophetic mindset, you like to think this way. Daddy doesn't, you say, Pastor normally doesn't get so prophetic all the time. I got to stop calling you guys like that, but I do it with my kids all the time. <laughs> he's just shaking his head. He's been with me hanging out. But it's always, it's always daddy this and daddy that. And then when I get with you guys, I'm really right now starting to get to the age where I could be your parents. Now, I wonder if legitimately I, I am the age of any of your parents because, I want to hear about that in just a second, because I know that I could have had children early like some of my friends did. My friends that had children when they were 15, 16, 17, some of them are grandparents right now because their children have already had children, so they're my age, okay? So I'm 39 years old, going to be 40 next month. Do any of you have parents in that age? Yes. Your mom is 39 years old. That is awesome. Okay, anybody else? Am I the same age? So I need to say madre. That would just be weird. But I'm literally now, this is a friend, and it's only one. It's only one out of all of you guys here. So as you can see, the gray hairs coming in on the beard and the side. Pretty soon, in the next few SUM generations, I will be as old as your parents. I will be as old as your parents. So right now, I just squeaked in, squeaked into one. But I'm going to start squeaking into more because, as, as, as it says, students keep getting younger and younger as you get older and older. Now, it's true that they stay the same age, but it feels that way, and that's what it will be like. Okay. Now, in the creation order, I normally don't get prophetic, but let's apply some prophetic insight to the Bible. Let's go deep. Let's go deep. In the, in the creation order, what comes first? Six days of work or the day of rest? Which comes first? Six days of work. He does this, he does this, he does this, he does this, he does that, and then he rests. And that's how he teaches us to do it. So when man is created, man is created in the middle of a work week. And then he rests. And then from that point on, it's always work, 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 rest. Okay? Now, when you take it one step further into the prophetic understanding of creation and how it works with work and rest, what is there more of? More of work or more of rest? Do you rest six days and work one? Or do you work six days and rest one? That's right. So how often do we give up before the breakthrough? Because we think we should have this first. We think that this should be what we have first and what we have more often. What are you going to have more often in life, work or rest? Work. That's the way it's going to feel like. What are you going to see more often in life, prayer or miracles? prayer very rarely will you see miracles but you will be praying all the time you have to learn that this is the principle of the kingdom this is how it is and if you don't rest you won't be good for work so for example you work six days and then you don't rest the seventh so you end up working seven and then the next week comes that very next day of the next week you're working you're thinking, well, I only missed one day of rest. It's not that big of a deal. But what you don't know is how it's adding up. Because that day that you missed, you worked instead. Now you're up seven, 
and you go to the next one, that's eight days of working without rest. Hello. Where before you worked six days and rested. Now you're working eight days without rest. And then you go to the next week, nine days, ten days, eleven days. You do it wrong, you will work, you miss one day of rest, you will end up working 13 days without resting. Does everybody see that? Do you see how the principle of rest ties into creation and ties into how we do ministry? And that's what we got to see in this story. John gives us the understanding that they worked hard. They rode. He is specific in even the distance that they rode. So this is not a mythological story. This is a true movement. People are pushing against a storm. It is hard. They probably wanted to give up. Put yourself in their shoes. It's not cute anymore. It's not fun anymore. You are scared. And I, I just, as a pastor who also loves doing extreme things, it is sometimes hard, me preaching to you guys like this. How I want to preach to you is when uh, Sister Soldier is about ready to get into the river on our fun day. At that moment of her fear of crossing the river, I now want to talk to her about trusting the Lord and not being afraid. I just wish I could put all of you in a situation that stretches you. I wish I could take you 10,000 feet up in the air, about ready to jump out of a plane, trusting God. I wish I could have you on the end right now, Anthony, of a rope, and we're rock climbing in Devil's Lake, got you up about 100 feet. Now I want to talk to you about something and see if you can calm yourself down to hear the lesson that I'm giving you and we're not letting you down until you apply the lesson. That's the scenario, come on, that they find themselves in. I know some of you want to do the extreme stuff, right? So that's what I want to get us in. Or even those of us who love extreme stuff, that we would say, well, Joe, you'll never get me scared at extreme stuff because some people just, just don't have it built into them. Okay, well, then let's get even more closer to the actual example here. Let's work until we can't work no more. And then at that point of exhaustion, pushing through the middle of the night, now let me teach you a lesson because everybody here will reach that. I don't care if you're a Navy SEAL extreme type person, ready to jump out of planes, whatever. I, I work you, or like how Jesus did here, they were up all day working hard. Now they're working all night at some point we will all reach the end of our strength and that at that point we have to dig down deep and we have to start having faith and courage faith and courage and the thing is that Jesus is found in those moments that that's when Jesus comes on the water and as I said before in our scariest moments is when we're going to encounter God the best in the places of persecution we will encounter Jesus the most and it's not always as romantical or as epic as we think it's going to be. And I use the word there, romance, probably in not the right way. But it's like sometimes we think between us and God, if I'm suffering persecution, like I'm just going to be so close to him. I'm always going to hear his voice. But oftentimes in this, those dungeons, these men have great, have great doubts. The women have great doubts. But it's when they're pressing through that that they start to sense God's presence come. So it's not like it's just like, you know, you're sitting in a dungeon having a you know a candlelit dinner with Jesus. It's very hard. It's very, it's very taxing on your mind, especially when you read about Richard Warmbrandt, Warren Warmbrandt, and, and how he suffered during the time of the of the communist regime in in Europe. There, how they would mentally brainwash him and tell him your family's abandoned you. They've turned their back on God. They have left you. That Your wife has remarried you. No one in your church is serving God anymore. Everyone has joined the communist revolution. You give up. You're the only one right now. You just, you'll, we'll let you out if you'll, if you'll now join our revolution. We will let you out. You should give up. No one else is fighting anymore. The battle is won. No one's coming to your rescue. 
You know, that's what they would lie to these men day after day. They would put it on loudspeakers day after day after day. And, and, and they would do this kind of like uh, reprogramming. And you know who was going through things very similar to that? The Christians of North Korea and the concentration camps and the reprogramming that they're trying to do to them, the brainwashing. Pray for North Korea whenever you think about the persecuted church. But even in those times, we can read in the Bible that there is a, there is a, uh, a dependency upon the Lord that comes through the brokenness of man, even in those deepest moments of fear and, and anxiety and depression and that feeling of I've been abandoned, loneliness. I mean, all of those things. Don't you, don't you just, when you hear those words, you just get even just like, oh, I'm almost afraid, like, lonely. You know, it's like, I don't want to be lonely, anxious and worryful. Oh, man, depressed. Some of you have been set free from depression. When I say that, don't you just think, man, I don't ever want to go back to that, you know? Or, 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 you know, sick and dying, you know, diseased. All of those things to us, like they have like a reaction to us. It's like, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want to go through that. You know, I don't want to leave my children yet. I don't want my daughter to leave me. I think about this father who, uh, who's lost his daughter, and he, he, she, she died of cancer, and he started a, a charity for her. And it's online. It's on Facebook. It's the blonde-haired girl. And, uh, you know, he's always putting up pictures of her. And, dude, I can't even think about it right now probably without crying. And he's, like, holding her. Like, even now going, you know, he's like, has a post with, like, holding her. And he says, um, you know, Christmas time still are not easy to not have you around. And I'm, like, thinking, dear Lord. I mean, you want to talk about feeling like you've been out in the middle of the night rowing and only gotten a few miles. And you feel like you're, you're, you're there. You know, you're, you're there all by yourself. You're scared. I mean, that's what it would feel like for me as a parent, you know, to go through that. But there is, there is a miracle power that God brings to us at those points. There's things that God does that only we can, that only he can do and that only we can experience when we're in those places of fear and torment and, and facing the end of what humanity is. So um, did you write down that one that I gave you that... Um, let me see, those who do. Okay, let me give you another one to write down here. Let me give you another one. I think Lawrence said it best. Lawrence said it best for me yesterday. He had it when the Lord was, was speaking there. Let me get it here. And I want to say it a little bit better. And then I'll give you guys some practical things. Where are you going to encounter God the most? The place where you are most afraid. Let me say it like this. You will encounter God the most when you are the most afraid and at the end of your strength. When you are at the end of your own ability, you will encounter God the most. That's when you have to learn to then rest in his presence. Because when do you go from working and rowing to resting? It's not a giving up, but it's letting go of what you cannot change. It's a releasing of the control. So let's put, it, let's put it in perspective right now. Let's, give up, let's get, come up with some examples and what does it look like in your life, okay? So first of all, the, you started a new semester. You're an SUM. Let's, let's look at that example. Go to the other side. Some of you right now are on academic probation. You have to work to get to the other side. Otherwise, you will not make it. You will not be a student this time next semester or the semester afterward. You will fail out. That will be your reality. And right now, that may scare you because everything you have tried has not worked. And you feel like, I don't know if I can do this. That's real. 
That's where you're at. That's where some of you are at, right? I don't know if I can make this. If I fail, I'm going to let down the people I love. I'm going to let down my fellow students. Everybody's going to know that I failed. I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel terrible. What am I going to do then with my life? I've been putting my life on hold so I can do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. I have redirected my path. God has redirected me for this. And if I fail out, where am I going to be? And maybe even you get a little more afraid of that. You go, I've looked at other SGM students who have dropped out, and they actually turned their back on God. Or they had those struggles where they let the devil get the best of them. Things that they did, they regretted. You know some of these people. Come on. And they haven't been the same since. And you may say, is that what's going to happen to me? If I fail out, is that what's going to happen to me? Well, see, what you need to do is row and work hard right now. You need to do everything that you can do. And then you need to rest in the Lord and trust him that he's going to do what only he can do. You cannot ask to have good grace at the end of this semester unless you have done everything that you can do. If you fail a practicum, you have not done everything that you can do. You listening to me? If you fail a college success class, you have not done everything that you can do because that class is designed to teach you how to succeed. If you have failed that class, you have failed because you have not tried. You have failed because you have not tried. You are asking God to do something that he has told you to do. How about this? Don't ask God to change a situation. He gave you the power to change. That's a good one. I'm telling you right now, some of you don't get it. I can tell even right now that some of your expressions aren't getting it. You don't understand that this is bigger than you right now. You don't understand that this is, this is, this is your moment. When do epic moments come? I love Lord of the Rings. I love epic moments. Some of you don't know how to recognize them when they come because you're looking for the, the battle of Helm's Deep epic moment when Gandalf comes down the mountain and shines his sword and, you know, you know, takes out the enemy, but you're forgetting the epic moment that had to happen beforehand when Frodo was chosen by Gandalf to get himself in that situation to begin with and cause all those events to take place. The epic moment, the, the moment of destiny, the moment that changes the rest of your life doesn't come when you did the big outreach and all of that. That is the result of you choosing that right thing. It doesn't come when you get the A. It comes because you studied and decided not to play video games or go out with your friends. Are you listening to me? The things I'm telling you in this message may seem to be so, so basic, so elementary that you say, Pastor, I got it. I'm doing good. You have no idea what this is about then because this right here will determine everything about your Christian walk. This is a thus says the, the word of the Lord for you today. And I don't mean to build myself up like, oh, look how awesome he is. He's trying to make us feel guilty because we don't think he's so deep and smart. No, it's not about me in any way. I don't care how deep and smart you think I am. I'm just telling you, the Lord gave this to me. This is a principle of my life. I am sharing it now with you, and many of you here are not capturing it right now in your hearts, and you need to let it go deeper. So I'm going to give you a few more examples. Let's say you're doing good with your grades. You're saying, man, I'm, I'm doing good with grades. This is fine. And you're saying, you know what? But I don't know how to work and hold down a job. And because you don't know how to work and hold on a job, this is many of you here right now. It's not just one of you. So don't ever, any one of you think I'm talking about you because it's going to get so real. Without me naming a name, without me naming a situation, you are going to think I am stepping on your toes, literally telling your business, and there's going to be three or four others of you that are going to say the same thing. And that's what I'm talking about. This is God speaking to some of you right now. I have seen this happen over and over in SUM. 
you think it's not time to hold a part-time job. You think it's not time to, to learn responsibility with work. Now, I know it's okay. I didn't work the typical job when I was in Bible college, so I know that God can pay for school a different way, like my parents paid for school. But I was still working in the summer. I had a part-time job in the, both of my summers, and I was always working in the ministry like it was a job. But I still had a job that had money coming in. Even though my parents gave me a car, paid for my college, I even still worked in the summer. And I did things throughout the, the year, volunteering to go work with other brothers to pick up some money on weekends. Like a plumber, he needed some help digging ditches. I joined with him. I didn't need the money. I already had my parents, look at it, paid for my school, gave me an allowance, paid for my car, paid for my insurance. And I said, oh, you're going you're gonna to need some guys to work and you're going to give them money? That's just my mentality. I'll go work and give money. That's the way it is. But I see some of you guys don't know how to work, do not know how to hold down a job, do not know how to put in time. And because of that, you lack personal skills and abilities to get things done. You lack that ability. You don't know what it's like to stay up all night working. You know what it's like all night to stay up binge watching Netflix. You know what it's like to, to, to play your favorite video game, but you don't know what it's like to work on a project till 3 in the morning. And some of you are struggling with that in school because you don't do it for school, you don't do it for work, and that's why you're going to be broke and busted and disgusted. You're going to be all that. And so some of you need to start putting yourself in the workforce, even if it's just a few hours a week. And you need to start becoming responsible for something, even if it's something in the church or during the summer. You don't let a summer just pass you by. You go work in the summer. You find something to do. You save up money. Even if you don't need money, you need the responsibility of what that teaches you so that you can know what a day of rest feels like. I'm being dead serious with you. If some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, you and, and I say this on video so that my words are not taken wrong. I am not going to ever ask any of you to come mow my lawn. I'm never going to ask you to. I love mowing my lawn. That's a privilege for me to do, honestly. I love mowing my lawn. But some of y'all should beg me to cut my grass in the summer for me to have you come out there and do it. Why? Because you'll know manual labor. Some of you don't know manual labor. You don't know what it feels like. You don't know what it's like. Some of y'all need to come borrow my kayak, put on a life jacket, tie yourself to it so you don't drown, I guess. And some of y'all need to go row that thing and get some exercise. Because you need to know what it feels like to get out and do a hard day's labor. Write down this next one, please. Labor and work is God's gift to the lazy. Labor and work is God's gift to the lazy. You need to learn how to clean your room. You need to learn how to clean your house. You know how my mama knew I had changed in Bible college, Christian? It's because when I came on break, I asked her if I could clean the dishes with her. That's how mama knew that I had been changed in Bible college, is I asked if I could clean the dishes for her. Do your own laundry. Do your own work. Why? Because then you'll understand what a day of rest feels like. You'll understand what it's like for a day of rest. All of you should be working. All of you should be putting in work and time. None of you are beyond working. You will understand what rest is like. Because that's going to prepare you for ministry. I can always tell the ones that are irresponsible as deacons and 201s are the ones that don't hold down jobs.
Every single time. I'll tell you, every single time. Oh, this person's irresponsible, doesn't know how to do this, doesn't know how to do this, doesn't know how to do that. Why? Because they don't know how to work. They don't know how to work. And that is going to apply to your ability in ministry. And like I said, even if, even if you don't get a secular job, you come to me. You come to me and you say, Pastor, put me to work. Have me build shelves. Have me vacuum and be the maintenance man, not just on Sundays. Have me come in during the week to do the in-depth cleaning. Have me cut grass at your house. Have me pick weeds and do yard work. Y'all ain't even ready for this. When I was in between youth pastoring and starting this church, you know what? I knew that nobody would let me preach, so I was only preaching in Teen Challenge. But I had to be in the church doing something because I was bored during the day. You know what I asked them if I could do? If I could clean their church. And finally, one person let me do it. God is my witness. God is my witness that I went in there and became their janitor by request. By request. Not to prove anything to you. I didn't have anything to prove to anybody. Nobody was even following me at that time. I had to work in the house of the Lord. I had to do something that meant something for the Lord. That's why in SUM, they put in there two hours of Christian service. But some of you, you need a lot more than that. You need 10 hours. You need to get out and get your hands dirty. Put in a day's labor. Labor labor is the, is the gift of, of God to the lazy. It will teach you how to sweat, how to work. The 21st century has taken us out of the examples of the Bible so often because we don't live in their culture, but we need to learn to work again. We need to learn to work so that we can rest. I feel that that's what some of the things that we deal with. Let me get to a couple other things, just some practical things, practical, coming fre fresh off the thing. Right here, when it comes to putting in work, comes to putting in your time with the Lord, a lot of this is going to come through your accountability and what people see you're lacking in life. And a lot of you don't want to hear this. You don't want to hear this. You see, I know at the end of the day, if this church is the way that it is, the size that it is, it's because of God, because I'm resting in the Lord. I have done all that I can do. Do you know why? Because I am accountable to the people in my life, and I ask them all the time, am I doing enough? Have I done enough for you, Berto, Pastor Berto, Pastor Tony? Have I been there enough? Have I mentored you enough? Have I been there enough for you as the elders, my go the governing elders? I talk to them all the time. I'll take out a first-time visitor that, uh, uh, you know, or a new person that's in the church out on a Wednesday with my, fam my wife and I, and I will ask them the same kind of question that I asked Ricky and Rachel just the other day we were out with them, and that is this question right here. How are we doing serving you and your family? I will ask the person that has just come to the church, how are we doing at that? How can we do it better? And I will ask the elder that's been with me over 10 years, how are we doing at that? Why? Man, I wish I could put my hand through this right now. I could just, because I want to work. Do you understand? I want to work. I don't ever want somebody to come through this church and think I don't want to work. As much as it depends on me, I will work to build this church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Is Jesus working through you to build his church right now? We think we're going to come to this church and not work and do what God called us to do. When they're working out there building roads, working out there building restaurants, working out there doing all that they're doing, we're not going to come here and work. We got to come in here and work this thing. 
And we need to stay accountable to each other because people in your life will tell you just how it is. So every one of you, every one of you need to go to those closest to you, like Pastor Steve, those in the youth ministry, those on Wednesday team, talk to Pastor Susie, and ask them, what do I need to do to work at this better? What do I need to do? And, and we don't teach in this church that you can't say to a person in our church, you're doing awesome. You don't need to do one more thing. We actually believe that's a standard for everybody. So we don't ever want to put one more thing on you, one more thing, because then you'll never achieve that place of rest. When I go down and rest, that's because there ain't nothing else I need to do. Somebody may say, well, pastor, what about that thing? That is not for me to do. That's not for me to do then. I am mad. People ask me all the time, how do you sleep so well with all the stuff going on in your church? Because I don't think about what I'm not supposed to think about. It doesn't belong to me to take that up and do that. It's not my burden to carry. It's Jesus' burden to carry. I'm not their Savior. You have no idea how many times I've been out with my family on a, on a vacation or whatever, and somebody's going through a cold red crisis, and I just send it right to voicemail and keep on keeping on. Why? Because it's not my burden to carry. I have to be with my family. I have to rest. This is a command. I will be there. Yes, Lord, I will do that. Now, you know the great thing about a church that you've raised up right? is you got someone else to take that spot. Jared's coming in. We got, you got someone else to take that spot. So when there was no one else to do it, I had to do it. That was my work. Interrupt the vacation, interrupt the thing. But because I've done this thing well, now we got a multiplicity by God's grace of leaders. So I can say, that's not my problem to deal with. That's not my funeral to go to. That's not, whoa, that's not my marriage to fix. That's, that's not my thing. I'll put my phone right back in my pocket, and that's it. And if it's a code red, I'm suicidal, whatever, I'll just text Tony. So-and-so just called me up. Please call him back. And at that point, if they don't think Tony's good enough, then they won't think Jesus is good enough. Because Jesus said to his disciples, where you guys are is where I'm at. He didn't just say that to Peter. He didn't just say that to Matthew. He said, when you come in my name, that's where I'm at. So when you come in the name of the Lord and you're under the leadership of this church, you're carrying the same exact anointing. All those tribal leaders with Moses got that same anointing of Moses put on them. Read it. The spirit of Moses went to each and every one of them. No different. No different. So I'm telling you, you got to be accountable. You got to be accountable to this. What, am I doing everything I can do? So you go back to that school example. Okay, I'm going to stay accountable this quarter to make sure I get good grades. I'm going to have somebody keep looking at my stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them help me. Man, that's a privilege to have that. I'm going to let them help me so that I don't have an excuse at the end of this time. And then I can say, man, I have done all that God has called me to do. I am resting in his blessing. I am resting that he is going to take care of me. Those of you who struggle with irresponsibility, I I've gone to my pastor, Joe. I've gone to my 101 leader. I've gone to my 201 leader. I've asked him what I'm supposed to do. This is the wisdom God has given me. The Bible says victory is sure in the counsel of many. Victory is what? Sure enough, you're going to get it. Amen. Sure enough, victory is coming your way when you're in the council of many. Council of many, victory is sure. Two or three are present, there is the Lord. You, your accountability partner, Jesus is there. Tony shows up, and that other person believes in Jesus, Jesus is there. He brings his wife with them, he brings Jesus with them. Hello. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know we carry Jesus wherever we go by ourselves, but I'm just talking about the authority of the witness of two or three gathered together, the authority that's there when the church is gathered, when the church is together. And so y'all got to be accountable to this. 
Be accountable to your devotions. Be accountable to your handing in of your practicums. If you ever miss a practicum, you should horse whip yourself. And I have teased, but you should just whip your, I mean, come on. You work so hard in the ministry, all of you do. I see you all the time. And then you're going to fumble, fart, and forget to hand in your practicum? If that ever happened to you, don't horse whip yourself. Go get an accountability partner that will do it for you. Seriously, you need someone to get up in your business. What is wrong with you? And if they love you enough to call you at midnight on Saturday to make sure you hand it in by Sunday, then praise God for them. You owe them a lunch every week they do that for you. Because people here are here to help you, but they're not here to babysit you. You understand? I'm not here to babysit you. I'm here to help you work. And then I'll teach you how to rest. I'll teach you how to rest. You know you guys have been in my house. We've had so much fun. You've seen me at the weddings, the parties. You know I know how to rest. I'm not sitting there every five seconds texting somebody. You haven't even been around half my friends. You don't even know how much a busy body you can be in ministry. they just busy bees buzzing all the time, too busy for days off. I remember talking to a guy in the inner city. I was like, man, what do you do for fun? You know, I was like, we talked about ministry. That's cool. Let's talk about what we do for fun. And he's like, man, I ain't got time for that. I work in the inner city of Atlanta, and I got to pick up people all the time. They're calling me up. I got homeless people sleeping in my backyard. That's what he told me. He said, I give them my address. If you need a place to stay, come stay in my backyard. I'm like, bro, man, you got to make some time to hang out with Jesus. Well, that is Jesus. Jesus told me to do this. I said, yeah, but he said to take a day of rest. He said, yeah, but, you know, that's more old covenant. That's more way it is was back then. And I understand the Sabbath was the command to take it then on a Saturday. That is Old Covenant. But the principle still remains. Hebrew says there is a Sabbath rest in the Lord. you got to learn how to rest in Jesus. You know what? That was the same man that came down to preach for me because I did like and respect him. And while he was there, he cheated on his wife with his ex-girlfriend from high school days. Man older than me now, he's about in his 40s, comes down to preach for me. While he's there, he's like, man, I'm just going to hang out with this girl. She picked him up at our church. He said, well, we're going to meet some more of our other friends. Other friends, I literally watched a man of ministry that I looked up to have an affair right in front of me. Left his wife, and his wife, he didn't even come home. He didn't catch his plane. Well, he, kept his, he caught his plane home, came right back, and then had an affair. She had to call me up going, where's my husband? Could you imagine that? They were Assembly of God urban missionaries. They were awesome. But that was a red light to me. This man didn't know how to rest. So the same way, we're going to keep you, you got to find people to keep you accountable on that. Have people keep you accountable on resting. When was the last time you, you laughed, had a good time? I always ask my, my wife that. If you, how am I doing? Do you see me carrying a light load, light countenance, a smile on my face? And, and she says yes. And then I said to her a long time ago, I said, listen, you will know I'm not doing good by my face, by my countenance. If you ever see me not smiling, loving Jesus, I need you to pray for me and talk to me at that moment. And my wife lives with me. And I've told you guys this before. I, I wake up like this. And I made my hairs a little bit more messed up. But my kids will tell you, I pray, to, I pray to God that one day we can get a reality show. And I'll show you what real pastors live like. Amen? I wake up like this. I come down the stairs every single morning and teach my kid to smile at me and say good morning as we kiss each other. That is how every day starts. Every day starts with me smiling, picking them up, twirling them around. Every day ends the same exact way. Now, there may be a lot of whoopings in between. There may, be, there may be a lot of spankings in between those two points of the day, but I will fight for that. I will fight to rest. I, have, I, have, I could keep you here all day and how I have trained myself to rest. 
Facebook posts, I used to waste all my time arguing with all these people. Then I began to realize, why am I wasting my time arguing with them when I could hang out with Anthony who's teachable? I don't even know this person I'm arguing with, and I'm trying to teach him something. When if I just picked up the phone and said, Anthony, you want to learn something about eschatology? He'd be like, sure, pastor, talk to me. You get what I'm saying? This guy don't even care about me, trying to rebuke me, and I'm, not, I'm wasting, because it's all time, people. It's all time where I'm throwing out time to this man where another man's saying, I would love for you to spend time with me. I remember getting those words from the Lord and God telling me to direct my time. So, man, I, I avoid all that nonsense whenever I don't. You know, I'm going to say I, I always do it perfectly, but Christ has made me perfect, given me perfect wisdom and knowledge. Same thing with you. There's never a time of sin is going to come natural to you. There's never going to come a time where sin is a part of the plan or getting overworked is a part of the plan. Don't burn out. Burn up for Jesus. Amen? All you need to do to keep burning up for Jesus is laying your flesh on that altar. Amen? And until you die, there will be enough there to keep it burning. <laughs> You're a living sacrifice, aren't you? The only time you burn out is when you take your flesh off the fire. Hello? Put that on there. The only time you burn out is when you take your flesh off the fire. Be a living sacrifice and burn up for Jesus. There you go. There's another one-liner. I got him excited. We got to close out in prayer. But put that in your heart today. I'm telling you, this is bigger than us. This is bigger than me, man. A lot of stuff I'm telling you, I've had to see through other people's lives, too. Years and years. I, mean, I just told you a story about a man who had an affair at 45. I mean, do you even think at 45 you're going to do that? Do you think if he was sitting here at 19, 20, do you think he would have done that? So you've got to learn from this. You'll find yourself in places. You wonder, how did I get here? And if you don't do it right, it will mess you up. But if you do it right, then you'll find, how did I ever get here? And you'll see, praise God, he took me place I never imagined. It happens both ways. In sin, you'll be like, oh, man, how did I get here? It's because one little step, one little step. And then with God, oh, man, how did I get here? Because one little step, one little step, God transformed you. So which way are you going? Are you dying or are you living? You're being transformed to the image of Christ or the devil. What path are you taking? Amen? Joby, let's get ready to shut her down, please. Thank you. Father, I thank you for this wonderful day. Let us learn to work hard and rest hard. Let us learn to trust you in all that we do. Uh, we just love you so much, Lord. Only you can keep us to the end. Um, you, Lord, you said in your word that you would finish that which you started in us. We believe it until the day of Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on.